Middle of the country, but not middle of the road opinions. It's the podcast dedicated to sports in the air capital of the world. I'm going to Wichita. Wichita, Kansas, and beyond with Tommy Castor and Blake Cripps. This is Keeper of the Games. Some may say that we are wildly unqualified. Some may say that we are only mildly entertaining. I say that we are exactly where we are supposed to be looking at yet another AFC championship game and some meaningful basketball here on the Keeper of the Games podcast. I believe this is episode 109, if I am not mistaken. Blake Cripps, Tommy Castor joining you on the program, talking all things Wichita sports. And you can find us, as always, at cogsports.com, facebook.com slash keeper of the games, or at cogpod on Twitter, the videos on YouTube and our Facebook page. And the audio is pretty much everywhere. Spotify, Stitcher, probably your your favorite platform. Uh, look for it today. Like, share, and subscribe. Really appreciate the follows. Tommy, appreciate being here with you as we get set for another big show and yet another AFC title matchup for the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, five in a row. The Chiefs are getting ready for the AFC title game inside Arrowhead Stadium. It's become just commonplace now, right? Where you just expect to have the AFC championship run through Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, But I have to say, you know, it's been five years in a row, and this will be my first time at the actual AFC championship You're going. I will be there. My wife and I are going this Sunday. Uh, Shout out to Austin Crutcher, who is the PA announcer for the Wichita Wichita Thunder. Thunder, yep. Uh, He had a couple of extra tickets and uh, sold them to me. And so my wife and I are going up there and uh, it it should be fun. It's going to be freezing in Kansas City on Sunday. It is going to be cold. But that's okay. We're going to get through it. Sure. Yeah. Bundle up. This might, this will probably shock you. And I need to correct this at some point. I've never been to a Chiefs game. It's ne- I have oh. been to a football game at Arrowhead Stadium, but it was a KU football game. So I've been to the stadium, but I was there for Armageddon at Arrowhead between can- the first one between Kansas and Missouri. I was calling it for KGHK student radio on the University of Kansas. Incredible game, by the way. Obviously, uh, I was fortunate enough to have the comeback portion of the game in the second half on the call with Rustin Dodd, who was formerly of the Kansas oh, yeah. City Star. Really good guy. He's my sports director at the time, but never been to a Chiefs game. Going to have to fix that. A lot of people would probably be surprised to hear that. Yeah. If it makes you feel any better, uh, this is the first game that we've gone to since before covid um, wow. we, we used to try to go to at least like one a year, one a year. Sure. Uh, and then we haven't been, you know, having a, a baby and like all that stuff, like yeah. haven't been able to get up there, but we're going super pumped and, and hopefully it's a great game. Yeah. Before the second baby, this is probably the time to get up there and, and get that done. Exactly. And we'll be talking plenty of chiefs on this show coming up. We'll have the sunflower showdown, obviously a top 15 matchup between the Jayhawks and the wildcats. And what has the aftermath wrought for those two schools and a state of the shockers, It's been a topsy-turvy year for the black and yellow. But we begin with the Chiefs and the Bengals. Rerunning it back to the AFC Championship. Kansas City was not perfect, but the Chiefs were good enough to slip by the Jacksonville Jaguars in the divisional round 27-20 to set up a fifth straight appearance in the AFC Championship, hosting another one at Arrowhead Stadium and another showdown with the Cincinnati Bengals, avoiding a controversial neutral side showdown with the Bills after the Bengals 
beat the Bills last week in the divisional round. Bengals have been the boogeyman to the Chiefs here the last few seasons with a comeback win earlier this year and obviously a heartbreaking comeback in last year's AFC title game. The Bengals have now won three in a row over the Chiefs. Tommy, there's plenty to break down, but first, you have to get there, and it wasn't perfect. It wasn't great. Patrick Mahomes gets dinged up, a high ankle sprain, but still 22 for 30, 195 yards, two touchdowns in the second half. Chad Henney leads a long touchdown drive for the Chiefs' offense. The defense was average, but they got the job done. But all that matters is that the Chiefs did the only thing that matters this time of year in football. They won in the playoffs and now have a chance to make a second Super Bowl appearance in the Patrick Mahomes era. Yeah, I think that uh, the, one of the big things with this game against the Jaguars that was crucial in my mind, but it's something that isn't really being talked about quite as much as Patrick Mahomes' injury and you know some of the other things that happened during the Jaguars game, was that the Chiefs didn't turn the ball over. No turnovers, no interceptions, no fumbles. It's been a recent Nothing trend. like that. No miscues. And I had thought going into this game against the Jags that as long as Kansas City took care of the ball, that they would not only win, but they would probably win comfortably. Uh, and so that was really important for me uh, to, to keep an eye on and to make sure that Kansas City played a clean game. And they did. And, you know, I think that if you have a typical Chiefs performance from earlier this season where they turn the ball over two, three times, it could have easily been a different outcome oh, sure. uh, in that game. And it could be the Jags in the AFC title game instead of Kansas City. So that was that was key for them. Like you mentioned, like they had struggled in weeks past in turning the ball over and they didn't do that in the divisional round. And that was really crucial. But of course, the main storyline is Patrick Mahomes and the high ankle sprain. Uh, you know, I, I thought that there was a decent shot for a little while that he wasn't going to play in that game and in, in the rest of the Jags game. Came back after halftime. He did. He, he gutted it out and he made it work and he found a way. He was limited somewhat, but found a way to make it work. And, and hats off to Chad Henney and hats off to the offensive crew around him, the O-line and the receivers. Travis Kelsey had uh, a couple big catches on that drive. Isaiah Pacheco for keeping it going when Patrick Mahomes was on the sideline. That could have easily been a, a game-changing uh, drive for the Jags where, you know, the Chiefs were pinned deep in their own territory. And if Jacksonville would have been able to stop them, they could have gotten really good field position and went down and what tied the game. Absolutely. And then who knows? Who knows what would have happened from there? But all Chad Henney and the offense did march the ball down the field, able to get into the end zone and keep the lead going and basically kept the seat warm for Patrick Mahomes to come back after halftime. Yeah. Honey, Henney coming in and leading that drive the way that he did was Incredible to see. I mean, this is a decades-long, it seems like, journeyman in the NFL who can still get it done when he has to. And I thought that Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy did a great job on that drive, putting him in position to be successful, calling the right plays. And as you mentioned, a couple of big catches from Travis Kelsey on that drive to keep it going. I think if KC... I think they can win this game, one game, if Patrick Mahomes is not at 100%. They're going to have two weeks to get him back if they are able to get by the Bengals, which is far from guaranteed. Mahomes practicing today. He declared that he's ready. That doesn't necessarily mean anything. So, But the signs are good that he's at least going to play this weekend. He's going to give it a go. And I would say I can't think of a quarterback that I would consider to be a better injured quarterback than Patrick Mahomes. Certainly some of that is to do with 
he's one of the he's certainly the best quarterback of this generation and already getting up there as to one of the best quarterbacks of all time. I'm not sipping the Kool-Aid like some of those people in Kansas City who think he's already number one. Let's relax on that. He might be, I think he's in my top 10 right now, but um, you know, nobody, I feel like he finds a way to maneuver himself around even when he's get, got an, gets an ankle rolled up on or somebody clips his knee or he just figures out a way to make plays. And I, I there's nobody, no quarterback that I believe could still do what must be done this weekend being injured other than Patrick Mahomes. Let's take it a step further. Uh, out of current quarterbacks in the NFL, I think I'd rather have Patrick Mahomes on one leg than a lot of them on two, to be honest with you. Oh, for 100%. Um, I don't know about and, the guy who know, he's playing this weekend, but yes, a lot of guys, That's very true. That's a sure. very good point. But, you know, I think that, that part of it is because he is so versatile with his game uh, that when you are able, when you take away some of that mobility, which, yeah, that's a that's his bread and butter, right? His escapability, uh, his elusiveness, his being able to create something out of nothing. That's a lot of what make, makes Patrick Mahomes Patrick Mahomes. So when you limit that a little bit, sure, he's not going to be quite as good, but he just finds other ways to make it work. And so I noticed it in the second half, and some of it I think was probably play calling where Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy schemed up ways uh, to protect that leg some or to make it work to where he wasn't necessarily having to scramble around and, and all of that. Um, but he, he was able to highlight other strengths in his game. And I would imagine that that's going to be somewhat of the same this weekend, you know, surely. And, and I don't know the intricacies of the playbook and I don't really know exactly what they talk about in their meetings on a week to week basis. But I would think that there are some times where, and correct me if, if you think I'm wrong here, but where they actually probably design plays knowing that Patrick Mahomes is, is going to scramble and trying to set oh, him up sure. in the best way possible to do that. I would think that some of those things may not really be on the table as much this weekend, knowing he's dealing with that high ankle sprain. Uh, but regardless of that, he's, he's so supremely talented in other facets of the game that, yeah, you take away one element of it he's just going to find another way to beat you I think they're definitely bootlegs that they have out there I think that the thing that probably that they do is practice unscripted situations I'm guessing sure. and I don't know that to be a fact I don't get you know I don't have a chief's practice credential they probably don't even work on that while the media are allowed to watch practice but I'm guessing that there are times in practice where they you know throw the offensive line out on the side and say, okay, we're going to send, you know, we're going to send blitzers from you. You're not going to know the direction and you're going to have yeah. to, you know, wander around and figure it out. And receivers, if he's going this way on this kinds of route, this is what you need to do on these kinds of routes. If he's moving in this direction, this is where you need to be. I'm guessing that they work on things like that. And defensively, this is a Cincinnati defense that bottled up uh, Buffalo big time last week. Ten points in the first quarter for the Bills, uh, eight first quarter yards for Buffalo. They only had ten points the whole game and only eight first quarter yards. Josh Allen had no answers for this team. Uh, the Bengals have held opponents under 300 yards passing in four straight weeks, under 100 yards rushing in four of their last six. And then the Ravens in the divisional round, or the wild card, did run for over 100 yards, uh, 155 yards on them in the wild card round. But the Bills managed just 63. And the Bengals have had a knack for being awful early against the Chiefs and then out-adjusting them late at halftime like they did in the AFC title game last year, coming from 18 down, and like they did last uh, 
last time that they played earlier this season in week 13. So this is a Bengals defense that has shown even if you torch them in the first half, they can make an adjustment and out-coach the Chiefs a little bit, out-adjust them, and win the second half and win the game. And I don't think there's any doubt about it that Lou Anarumo, the defensive coordinator for the Bengals, is one of the best D coordinators in the entire NFL. Sure. He has had the answer for Kansas City the last three times that the Chiefs have played them. Uh, and, and so what's going to be important for Kansas City in this, I think that there is a scenario where Cincinnati says, we've got to throw the kitchen sink at Travis Kelsey. We've got to try to take Travis Kelsey away. Sure. Um, I mean, he had, I think he had 17 targets in the game against the Jags. Then he have 14 week. catches? 14 catches. Yeah. Um, r- right around 100 yards receiving, maybe a little bit under that. But he was targeted a lot. And then, of course, he was. Like, he's the best tight end he's to play. He's the best the game. tight end, yeah. But on top of that, Patrick Mahomes needed, you know, a safety net of sorts when he was hobbled in that second half. And so he's going to go to your tight end that, you know, is going to be reliable every single time. And so if I'm Cincinnati, if I'm Lou Anarumo, the D coordinator, I'm thinking, all right, let's try to eliminate Travis Kelsey out of the game and make the wide receivers beat us. Now, what I think is going to happen or what should happen, and hopefully it's successful for Kansas City, is they're going to need to lean on. Isaiah Pacheco in the same way that they leaned on him last week against the Jags. Isaiah Pacheco had 95 yards rushing against Jacksonville, albeit Jacksonville's defense is different than than Cincinnati's, but had 95 yards rushing and even more impressive, he averaged over seven yards a carry running the football for Kansas City. And so he was able to get chunk plays, you know, on the ground. That's going to be really important if you've got Patrick Mahomes, who may be a little bit limited in his mobility this weekend. Sure. And if the Cincinnati defense tries to take away Travis Kelsey, I would love to see a healthy dose of Isaiah Pacheco. And I would love to see him be able to find those creases and be able to get, you know, six, seven, eight yards a carry. Um, and if, Pacheco is able to do that, I think Kansas City has a really good chance to win. I just can't see a scenario where the Bengals are not doubling Kelsey pretty much from the get-go. And, and will that yeah. stop Kelsey? I It's possible that it doesn't. But I can't imagine that they are going to let him just run into single coverage. I think the Bengals try to take him away. And the question offensively will be, can the island of misfit toys that has been so big this year in terms of McKinnon, Valdez Scantling, Smith Schuster, it's like on offense, you know, you get rid. It's almost like we're watching Moneyball in Kansas City. The Oakland A's get rid of Johnny Damon. And how do we manufacture these runs when we bring in these guys? And the Chiefs like, well, how do we manufacture these yards? Well, let's bring in these guys that nobody wants that we think that we can coach up and get into our system. And it's worked this year. I mean, they but, they lost know, the best yeah. receiver and the Chiefs win. They're, they're 15 and three right now. What's crazy about it is that this might sound a little harsh, but I think it's true. The wide receiver room in Kansas City, it's not good. It's just not like like they they've got some individual talent, but the overall like they don't have a good wide receiver core. But the crazy thing about it is it hasn't mattered. It doesn't matter. And, and so when, when you've got Mahomes, when you've got Kelsey, when you've got you know Isaiah Pacheco running the ball well, Jarek McKinnon has looked like a pro bowler in the last yeah. several weeks of the season. Like it doesn't matter if Juju or MVS or Sky Moore, Justin Watson, if they're not producing at a high level. 
the, the Chiefs have found ways to win without them. Will that be able to carry on into an AFC championship and a Super Bowl? I think that's the question. Well, and I think one big reason why is the quarterback position. Joe Burrow has been a thorn in the Chiefs' side. Mahomes is 1-3 against the Bengals, and Joe Burrow is a big reason why. 25-31 for 31 in the earlier meeting this season, 286 yards, two passing touchdowns, a rushing touchdown. And he's the only quarterback to ever beat Patrick Mahomes in three straight games. Samaj P. Ryan ran through the Chiefs' defense, 106 yards on the ground. And you can't forget about Joe Mixon. He had the hot cleats last week, running for 105 yards and a score against the Bills. The Bengals had come off of four pretty clunker offensive performances in a row offensively, especially in that win over the Ravens in the season finale. But they looked crisp last week in the divisional round against the Bills. And so for the Chiefs defense, you know, you look at this matchup, normally I would certainly say that these are two of the peers in terms of the quarterbacks in the NFL. I look at it right now, and I think you've got a big three in Burrow, Mahomes, and Josh Allen, and Jalen Hurts is right there on the second tier. I think that Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady have solidly fallen out of that elite tier of quarterback this year. And, you know, Burrow may give Cincinnati a quarterback advantage this week. And it's close anyway when they're both 100%, in my mind, probably within 5% of each other. You know, maybe Madden rating Mahomes is a 99 and Burrow's a 97, but Burrow's 100%. And we don't know exactly what we're going to get out of Mahomes this week for Kansas City. So Cincinnati, Joe Burrow, he's going to have to be plan A. How do we stop this guy? And also, you have to also... Uh, respect the running game that Cincinnati has, something that uh, Kansas City failed to stop with any consistently the last time that they played the Bengals. I know this is going to sound a little bit uh, blasphemous, especially while I'm wearing a Patrick Mahomes jersey. Sure. Uh, I, I like Joe Burrow. Uh, I don't why like him when he you, plays the Chiefs. Why would you not like, like Joe Burrow? I like Joe Burrow. He's and, good. You know, he's gotten uh, a lot of flack for his cockiness. But I think he's oh, earned whatever. every bit of it. I think he's earned every bit of it uh, because he, he carries himself with this confidence that he can just rip you apart at any moment. It's kind of like the, I guess, arrogance that Tom Brady brings a little bit. And I'm, I know people say a little bit more well, demonstrative. What does he have to back it up? Well, he he took his team to a Super Bowl, you know, in, in just the first couple seasons. Not just his you know, team. At, he took the Bungles, the Bungles right, exactly, to the Super Bowl, yeah. okay? And and I think he, he's clearly going to be around for a long time yes. doing that. I think that, that he's elevated himself, you know, into one of, if not, you know, one of the top two, top three best top quarterbacks three. in the NFL for and, sure. And, and he's Tommy, gotta, I would interject, I think he's going to win a Super Bowl in his career. I think it's going to happen. too. I think he is too. And I think the other thing about Joe Burrow that makes him so much fun to watch is the the pieces that he has around him. I think Cincinnati is the most complete team in the NFL. Uh, when you just look at the breakdown of their roster, I think they are the most complete team from top to bottom in the NFL. It doesn't mean they're going to win all their games, and it doesn't mean that somebody can't outplay them, but especially on the offensive side of the ball and the skill players that Joe Burrow has around him, I mean, come on. Like, you've got Joe Mixon 
and Samaj P. Ryan. And P. Ryan, I think, could start for a lot of the teams in the sure. NFL right now as their lead back, and he's the backup. And then you've got the big three in T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and, of course, Jamar Chase, who is one of one in the league as far as wide receivers are concerned. They've got a really good defense. I think the only Achilles heel is their offensive line. It has been for a while. Uh, they, they, they're not great. They're a little improved, I think, from last season, but that's not They're really still slightly much. below average. But they are, in my mind, and for my money, the the most complete team in the NFL. And so, yeah, of course, if I'm Joe Burrow, I'm going to carry myself with confidence and cockiness and arrogance because I know that I've got uh, probably a better overall team than anybody else, and he's daring opponents to come out and beat them. They've won 10 games in a row right now. Uh, They are the hottest team in the NFL. They did this last season. They got off to a slow start. Then they went on a long winning streak and they found their way into the Super Bowl. And so uh, the only thing standing in their way is the same opponent that they beat last year to go to the Super Bowl. And that's the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, you know, you look at this inconsistent Kansas City secondary Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, difficult matchups for everybody. There's certainly going to be difficult matchups for the red and gold. Chase went for 97 yards against the Chiefs earlier this year. Since his offensive line is leaky, they do not grade out well in pro football focus, but last week Burrow got the ball out in an average of 2.5 seconds on passing plays. He knows he knows he's got to get it out quickly, but he also knows that his targets are guys that they, they are, they're super fast, and so they can get into position and make it work for him where he doesn't have to sit in the pocket and get pressure on him. My question to you is, knowing the struggles, the off-and-on struggles that Kansas City's secondary has had, how do you combat the big three? Uh, they didn't do a great job at it last time. No. So what do you try? I mean, do you try to drop back in zone? No. Because I don't. I don't. Th- I don't think that the. I don't think that the cornerbacks no. can keep up with guys like Jamar Chase. Like sing. I mean, you you try to bracket them. What do you do? I think that if I were the defensive coordinator, and I've never been paid a cent to coach football, so what the hell do I know? Sure. But um, I don't want. If you have an advantage in the defensive line versus the offensive line, and the Chiefs might. I'm not saying that the Chiefs' defensive line is anything that great. Outside of Stone Cold... Yeah, I think they've got an advantage. Outside of Stone Cold Jones, obviously he had an elite kind of season. But you look at some of the guys that they've got in terms of Carl Loftus, maybe Frank Clark can catch fire. Frank Clark had a sack last week. He did. He's got like six, five or six sacks on the year. I think he had five in the regular season. So if you've got a Cincinnati offensive line that is leaky, that doesn't grade out well in pro football focus, you may not need to cover that long if you put Burrow in pressure situations. I don't think that Burrow, even though I think Burrow, he's not a mobile quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. I do think that he can execute throws on the run. He can execute bootlegs. He had a rushing touchdown to get the Chiefs last time. Um, But I would rather stake, if I had to bet, I would rather bet my money on Jones and Karloftis and Clark being able to be disruptive in the backfield rather than Thornhill and Sneed and Watson, who frankly could not cover the Bengals in the last game. And it could be another rip-your-hair-out game for the Chiefs in that regard because I think that the wide receiving core for Cincinnati, as you mentioned, will have the advantage of the Chiefs' secondary. So for me, I believe the key to victory is 
Can Pacheco have a big rushing day? Maybe the Chiefs play a little bit more situational, a little bit more possession-based football than normal and try to limit possessions in the game because Patrick Mahomes is not 100%. And maybe if he is 100%, that's something that Andy Reid can adjust as the game goes on. Figure out how you're going to deal with Kelsey getting double covered because I think that's going to happen every game. And then get... Joe Burrow into uncomfortable pressure situations, and I think that you have to mix up the looks that you give him because getting the ball out in 2.5 seconds is not just a hey, I know my offensive line sucks and I have to do this. It all look at his completion percentage. It's also I believe that I can just read this defense, make the correct read based on the look, and know what's going to happen. So you've got to keep him off of balance. That's my keys to victory. How about you? And do we have a? Do we even want to make a prediction on this game? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think I mentioned my my major key to victory, and that is you did. If Isaiah Pacheco can get going, uh, and, and he, they're able to lean on the run game a little bit more, a little bit more of a balanced attack. Uh, and I don't know why you wouldn't if you've got a hobbled Patrick Mahomes somewhat, and if they're going to try to take away Travis Kelsey and your lead running back a week ago averaged you know more than seven yards a carry, then I would think that they would want to lean on Isaiah Pacheco a little bit more. But I think if they do that, that's going to give them, at least on the offensive side of the ball, the best chance to win this game. And how do the as Bengals the- respond knowing that maybe yeah, right. the Chiefs are going to run more? Who knows? Who knows? That's, it's, it's that chess match, right? And and that's, you know, you've got the, the battle between the two coaches and what they're going to scheme up and how they're going to adjust. So as far as a prediction is concerned, uh, the last two times these two teams played each other uh, in the in the regular season and then the time before, uh, so in the AFC Championship game last time, I believe the final score for both of those games was Cincinnati 27, Kansas City 24. In fact, I think they were identical scores, right? In fact, Tommy, I don't know about that, but I do know that the last three times that these teams have met, the difference has been a field goal each time. Three-point Bengal win. So, you know, if you look at the betting lines right now, I think as of right now, the last I checked, at least on DraftKings, Kansas City was still a one-point home underdog. Uh, But... It, it's basically a pick 'em at this point, basically a coin flip. Sure. I think I think I'm going I'm going to give the nod to Kansas City. I think Patrick Mahomes gets the monkey off his back against the the Bengals. I think the Chiefs go to the Super Bowl, but it's going to be a field goal game. I'm going to say 30-27 Kansas City wins. I you know what? That 27-24 line seems pretty good and it would be yeah. a little bit poetic if the Chiefs could get it done. I have a feeling that they it's just so hard even though the Chiefs have not always had success at Arrowhead Stadium in these games uh it does it just feels like the Chiefs are going to find a way to me. It's a 5:30 kickoff on CBS. You're going to be freezing your ass off out there. I will Enjoy be, the yeah. game. I will be watching. That's one of the reasons why I haven't felt the need that I have to go the viewing experience at Arrowhead Stadium, depending on your tickets, and you know, being a big-time radio star now, I'm sure your tickets are going to be real premium down there in the they're first, okay. the first uh, ten okay. rows or so. Yeah, but I wouldn't say that, but they're in the lower <laughs> level at least. Yeah. Hey, you know what? That anywhere in that vicinity is going to be a great ticket. But the game looks so good on TV, I just don't feel the need to go. But I imagine that there's going to be some big-time energy in that stadium on Sunday. Yeah. I know you 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 are going to enjoy it. So 5:30 uh, p.m next episode of the show will either be prepping for the Super Bowl or we will be lamenting yet another what could have been for this Chiefs team. Coming up next, the Sunflower Showdown and the Aftermath. This one was an absolute classic. 
The Wildcats build a big lead. No lead is safe from these Jayhawks, though, it seems. And you thought that maybe it was going to be another situation where KU was going to be able to pull the rabbit out of the hat. Not so fast this time. The Wildcats hold on to beat KU in Bramlage 83-82 in a matchup of top 15 teams. Neither team was perfect, but Kansas State for sure executed better in the last five minutes of the game. Despite a career night from Jalen Wilson, Tommy, if there were any skeptics of this Kansas State team, I think that they are gone now, especially after how K-State has played since then. This is a great team that will threaten the Big 12 tournament and will have a chance to have a very, very good march. Yeah, I don't really know where to start with this because... There's um, a lot to you know, talk Kansas, about. Yeah, because Kansas State has uh, just played phenomenally uh, lately. And what what makes this team so dangerous is that they don't just have one guy that can kill you. They've got a handful of guys that can kill you uh, and led at the top by Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel, uh, both of whom could be, should be all Americans uh, when it's all said and done. They're great. And so you contrast that with KU and they've got Jalen Wilson and you know, Jalen Wilson is going to get his, but then there's sometimes a question mark who else is going to be able to produce they don't have those same kind of questions quite as much in Manhattan. You know Not right now. that you know it's it's Johnson and it's Noel. And then there are even other players that step up from night to night, whether it's Ish Masood, Desi Sills had 24 off the bench in the Sunflower Showdown. We've seen uh, Naquan Tomlin play well, too, off the bench. Uh, you know, like th- so there are other players for this Wildcats squad that can complement the, the two stars at the very top. And that's been an issue with Kansas, at least as of late. So uh, yeah, things, I mean, even though Kansas state, their most recent game on the road in Ames, taking on Iowa state, they fell by four. The Cyclones are a really, really good team. They're really and good. I, I don't feel any negatives coming out of that game for Kansas state. There is just a log jam at the top of the big 12. You've got as of right now, six teams that are within one game of the lead in the big 12 with eight games down. That's 60% of the league within one game of the top spot. So there's a lot of talent out there and it's a, it's a juggernaut. You know, right now you mentioned that, KU is looking for another guy. I think they've got that guy. I mean, they've got Grady Dick. They've got McCullough. They just haven't been that guy recently. They just haven't been there these last three games. And it's a three-game losing streak, but you look at who KU has lost to. They did get run out of Allen Fieldhouse by Texas Christian. Not something you, you don't expect to see KU lose by 23 at Allen Fieldhouse, even when KU is down. That just doesn't happen. Yeah. But then a tough war on the road on Big Monday. The Hawks dropped to a top 25 Baylor team by seven. And this season in the Big 12, I mean, you mentioned the standings. You've got six teams within one game. Six. And all all six of them are not – they're not just – these are not fraudulent teams. These are all really, really good teams. They think the Big 12 is going to slaughter the Southeastern Conference in the Big 12 SEC Challenge this year. This Big 12 – might be as good as I have seen it probably since Buddy Heald was in the league. And from top to bottom, Tommy, I think that it might be slightly better this year. There's just so many great Big 12 teams right now. Yeah, uh, and that was a fun year when Buddy Heald was Oh, a hugely it fun year. That was that was a blast. Um, yeah, I, I looked at the odds right now for outright winner for the conference championship and as of today 
it's still Kansas is the betting favorite, although I'm That's not sure because I of would history. Yeah, but I'm not sure I would take him because the odds aren't very good. Sure. Uh, you're not going to make much money, and I think there's a good chance that they're not going to win it. So, um, like, I wouldn't take them. Kansas State is right behind him, and then it goes from there. But what I think is really interesting is that TCU, who went into Allen Fieldhouse and beat the Jayhawks by 23 points, and then an evening ago beat Oklahoma by 27 points, they are they're getting the sixth best odds in the Big 12 to win the, the conference. And wow. it's plus 750 for them to win the Big 12. That seems like a pretty good value bet for me. Yeah, the no joke. Only thing, the only thing that would hold me off from doing that is that it's got to be an outright winner. And it wouldn't shock me one bit if you've Ooh. got two or three teams that are sharing this conference championship Question, when it's all said and done. Is an outright win, so is a shared title, is that a loss on the bet or is that a voided bet? I would imagine it's a voided bet would be my guess. I guess if I you're don't. betting, if the bet is for an outright title, then the sports book could say, well, if they share the title, that's not outright you True. lose. Yeah. I, I don't, don't know. know. I would want to know that. That's the only thing that would hold me back because I, I do think that there's a legitimate scenario. Oh, there's a where very got, good chance. You've got a couple of teams that are, are sharing it. And oh, in fact, absolutely. I, I, looked at, I looked at Ken Palm recently the other day, and I want to say, and I might be getting this totally wrong, but I want to say that... Ken Palm's projections had like three teams in the Big 12 finishing at like 11 and 7, and that was going <laughs> to win the conference at 11 and 7 or something like that. I mean, just like ridiculously crazy. cannibalizing each other, beating each other up. And it never really happens that way, right? Like we're used to Kansas, even at this time in the season maybe being a game down or tied or whatever. And then the they second find half of the conference season, they find a way to pull away. Yes. So that could easily happen with any one of these teams. But no, it wouldn't shock me one bit if you had a, a shared championship. Jalen Wilson has been incredible during this stretch for Kansas. He's averaging like 30 points per game. But you mentioned Kansas State's been so much more balanced. Keontae Johnson, he's way better than I thought that, that he would be. 18 he's points and 8 rebounds. 39% from the three. Marquise Noel is averaging 17. And I think that the biggest thing that people are not talking about is how much Kansas State is winning the three-point line by. They're shooting 36% from the line. Their opponents are only shooting 29% from the line. That's a massive advantage in the second most valuable shot in basketball. And they're shooting 4% better from the field than their opponents are overall. Meanwhile, KU has stretches of the game. And we listen, we're both KU fans. We love Bill Self. There are times when it looks like they're running a middle school offense this year, and I don't know what the hell is happening, but they are over-reliant on the three-point shot to the point of frustration right now. And Let's face it, Tommy. We both love – can I say that that we love Dick on this program? We love Grady Dick. Hey, this is a – Enthusiastically. This is a Dick-positive show. Absolutely. But he's we in are a, positively into Dick. But he's in a slump right now, okay? He he is in a slump. There's no other way to put it. He is not hey, he performing. Scored, he scored 24 points against Baylor on the road on Monday and shot the ball better than it he was had better. the last couple games. It was better. The, it the, wasn't but before great, the but Baylor game, better. he was a shell of what he had been doing the, in the first half of the season. Yeah, the, the issue with Grady Dick lately has been the only part of his game is catch and shoot. Like, that's it. Like, he's not defending at a high level. He's really not doing anything else other than catching catching the basketball and shooting it from deep. And the shots aren't falling. Uh, and Baylor 
closed out on him really well on Monday and forced him to take it to the rack. And he did and had success doing it. And so I would like to see that more moving forward from Grady Dick. I'd also like to see him rebound the ball better. Um, you know, he's a four. And so I think that he, and he's got the length where he should be able to be pulling down more rebounds than what he is right now. That's the next evolution of his game. But I want to go back and I know we've kind of combined both KU and K state together in this segment. And that's totally fine. I want to go back to what you were talking about with the Wildcats and Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel. Sure. The other thing about this Wildcats squad is they are unrattled always. Like they never ever get rattled. And that is a testament to Jerome Tang. I watched the game on Tuesday evening in Ames, hostile territory where actually the, uh, the, the Hilton folks inside Hilton Coliseum were actually chanting FK state, which that had to have been, <laughs> that had to have been surprising to the Wildcats to actually hear that directed towards them. Uh, but regardless, that's neither here nor there. They didn't, it didn't rattle them. Uh, no. And in fact, there was a, a period where while Iowa State dictated the, the tempo of the game for the most part, there was that stretch at the very end of the game where Iowa State could have pulled away and they completely just ended the game and they didn't. And Marquise Noel went down and shot a dagger like that guy's an assassin. Yes, he and hit a long three and it got the Wildcats right back into it with a couple of minutes left. And so they don't get rattled whatsoever. And I can only imagine like they've won in hostile uh, territories before they won at Waco and won at Austin earlier this season. They're going to be entering in Allen Fieldhouse in a couple of weeks. And they're not going to be scared. They've already no. beat these Jayhawks once. I wonder if the Iowa State fans are having such a big deal that, oh my gosh, I can't believe that we chanted FK State. Could like be. like all the K- Kansas State fans are losing their mind. Like it's been happening for 20, 35, I mean, 70 years. How long has that been going on? The ship has sailed, all right? If the kids want to yeah. do it, they're going to do it. it. It is hard to believe for me that they are going to be playing again in a week. ESPN Plus on the 31st at 7 p.m. They've both got their SEC it's on the Challenge. Plus? Yeah, it's still, yeah, it's on the Plus. It's, it's going to be Sunflower Showdown. It's on the Plus? Of course it is. What are we doing? K, you know as well as I do that KU and Kansas State, they didn't think that this was going to be a big game coming into the year. This is on the Plus all the time because, I mean, let's be honest, it's, there's a reason why KU football, why I re-upped KU football. I re-upped the plus this year because I thought I was going to need it to watch KU football. Okay. It turned out that that was not the case, but you know, they do this all the time. Even when KU and Kansas state are good, you know, whatever it's, it is stupid, but seven o'clock on the 31st. Can can I tell you one thing? Yeah. Next time these two teams play and even the next time Kansas plays on Saturday, in the Big 12 SEC showdown against Kentucky and Oscar Shibway, who might very well pull down 45 rebounds against the Jayhawks Maybe. this weekend. It wouldn't surprise me one bit if that happened. Not if Jalen Wilson has something to say about it. KU, they have got to figure out production off the bench. They have to. In the game against Baylor on Monday, they got two bench points. Two. So it didn't matter that Jalen Wilson scored 23 it didn't matter that Grady Dick scored 24. It didn't matter that Kevin, McCull- Kevin McCuller had a double-double. They got two bench points the entire game, and that was from MJ Rice. Bobby Pettiford was over. Joe Yesifu was over. Ernest Uday was over. They wouldn't even see Zuby Ejiofor or Zach Clements. So they've got to figure out 
how to get more production from the bench. The starters are playing far too many minutes because Bill Self can't trust anybody coming off the bench. And then you've got Dewan Harris, who banged his head in the Sunflower Showdown, has been uncharacteristically turning the ball over. His legs look tired, and they've got to figure that part out. Otherwise, the Jayhawks have a good chance to lose their fourth in a row, which would be the first time in the Bill Self era on the road at Kentucky. Uh, Here's the thing. Some of that bench scoring, Bill Self has never trusted his bench. Like in the history of ever. He always plays these guys. I mean, he has like an eight-guy rotation. We've seen him use seven-man rotations. You remember that Oklahoma, but speaking of Buddy Heald, you remember that triple overtime game where everybody was playing like 45, 50 minutes, and his guys are just dying. And will he put in any of the fresh legs of the McDonald's All-Americans he's got on the bench? Hell no. He's riding those guys. That's just what he does. I know it's a matter of trust. It's a matter of trust, and I get it. And, you know, we we talked to to Brian Haney a couple of weeks ago, and he mentioned it was kind of like the movie Meet the Parents. And you have, you know, the circle of trust. Right. Sure. And you have to enter in the Bill self circle of trust. That's, that's a hard are, place to get into. <laughs> there's a lot of players that, that aren't there. I get it. I <laughs> no. understand it. But like who are you going to bring it off the bench? Think, Zach Clemens. We want to see him again. It's don't you think it's concerning, though, that yes, you it had, is. in a game against Baylor that you had three guys contribute on the offensive end of the court and play pretty good basketball and it still wasn't enough because you didn't have production anywhere else. Yeah, I, I, it is a concern, but I think that that's just part of what you have to do. It, it When you hold Baylor to 29% shooting in the second half and you lose, that sucks. That that's, well, And they were that awful sucks. in grabbing defensive rebounds. I mean, Baylor, gra- I don't know how it was like, they grabbed like 17 offensive boards. A plus for you. Yeah. yeah, they were plus nine on the glass. And they, I mean, I, I, I know a lot of people complain about the free, the fouling. If you're playing 30 guys, 35 plus minutes, and, you know, they ended up shooting 16 for 20 at the foul line in the second half, you know, anyway, I I don't want to go too deep into the weeds. But at, at this point, if you are, if you're Bill Self, that, that's kind of what you are, you expect. He, his bench is short. It just is. That's part of the reason why I think Kansas State won that game is because their bench is bigger and they've got more guys that produce. The load is being spread around right now and more guys are playing better for Kansas State than are playing for KU. Hopefully Grady Dick will be able to take that forward. Uh, we mentioned KU. They're playing Kentucky. Kansas State draws Florida in the SEC Challenge coming up this weekend. Speaking of tough to figure out how about we take a look at the state of the shockers speaking of a tough team to figure out three game losing streak to open up aac play now they've won three out of four including a gritty come from behind win at smu on sunday but that was after laying an egg and an 88 78 loss at memphis on thursday they are currently in action at Coke Arena tonight, they are hosting Tulane. So we are paying attention to this, keeping our eye on this game as we do the show right now. Uh, and it's Wichita State leading through the first five minutes, 12-4. to four. So a hell of a start for Coach Brown's squad. Yeah. But, um, you know, if you are a Shocker fan that is wanting something to hold on to and say, okay, I, this team is headed in the right direction, I don't think you've really had that after the 0-3 start. You've got... Three very close wins. That's obviously great to see, but the Memphis game was a real dud and a disappointment. But the SMU game was absolutely incredible for Wichita State in terms of the comeback. Yeah, uh, look, Wichita State, anytime you can 
grab a win on the road in conference play, you'll take it. Uh, and they got out to a great start against SMU. I think they started out eight to nothing was the way that that game kicked off uh, on the road. It was as good as you could have asked for. But yet again, we see it from Wichita State time after time where they give up a lead. They actually entered halftime down. Uh, then they got back out to a lead. They gave it up again. That's just what this the Shocker squad does. They disappear, they disappear at times. You wonder where the offense went. They, they're unable to, you know, produce stops on the defensive side of the court. And so they were fortunate to squeak out a 71-69 victory on Sunday against SMU. Uh, back at home against Tulane with an opportunity to get back to 500 in conference play, all of a sudden you're within striking distance of a Houston team that does look a little vulnerable. Now, Houston is currently still the number one team in America, but they did lose to Temple just a couple of days ago. And so they do look relatively vulnerable, and it sets up a matchup between Houston and Wichita State uh, down the road in, in conference play where, you know, if, if you're Isaac Brown's squad, you're going to try to give Houston your best shot because if you can bring them down, then, hey, maybe this season isn't a total wash, you know, as it stands right now. So that's interesting. Yeah, good win for them uh, over the weekend against SMU, and hopefully they can keep it up here against Tulane. If if anything, I think Shocker fans do have to be excited that, you know, I know that they're frustrated by a lot right now, but this team has not been consistent, but they have shown the ability to fight back from large deficits. The last three wins have been by single digits. And so if you want a team that, you know, Shocker fans always say, well, you know, what do we do? We play angry. We play tough and we're never out of the game. And that was kind of one of the hallmarks of the Greg Marshall era because they had so many. I remember, you know, right there when they were in the heart of their run and the Shockers at the peak of their power, you know, they would go into the halftime break trailing, you know, like army by 10 at the break. And then they come and yeah. blow the doors off them in the second half. And so like, oh, look at how good we are in terms of coming back. This Shocker team is showing the ability to do that. Now they're off to a great start against Tulane right now. Now they lead seven. 17 to 6. So the run continues to build for the Shockers in this game, but at least they have been able to not find themselves out of games and they have been able to win close games. So if you like tight wins, you want teams that are going to be able to win those high pressure, high leverage moments, their last three wins have been by single digits. So you have to like to see that as well. And it's like what we've talked about before that the margin of error is small with this team because we know that. You know, from night in to night out, they're going to have trouble uh, scoring the basketball at times. And so you've got to rely on making the most of every possession and you've got to rely on playing good defense. And so when you when you're down, uh, you know, the late stretches of a game, few minutes to go and it's a single possession game uh, and you need to get a stop, Wichita State typically is able to do that uh, to a point to where they are gr- gutting out gritty close wins in conference play. And so that's a good sign moving forward. And I know that there are shocker fans out there that would probably hear that and say, you guys are grasping for straws. Like you're trying to find something and okay, sure. Like I might be trying to hang my hat on something where they're, yeah, they're not blowing out every opponent they face. They're not running over the competition, but right now they, with a win against Tulane tonight, of course, we don't know the outcome of, of that game while we're, while we're recording the show. But with the win, they moved back to 500 in, in conference play, and I wasn't sure that they would win a conference game. So, you know, the, the, there are things that are working 
in favor of Wichita State. And I want to be fair to them to where, yeah, we can be and everybody can be super critical of the things that are not good. But let's try to be fair and actually point out the things that are working. And when they're winning and they're winning on the road uh, at SMU, and it looks like right now they're off to a good start against Tulane. Let's give them credit where credit is due. Well, and I know that in the past we've been very pro-Isaac Brown. There are a number of Shocker fans who are not. I have not wavered on my position. Now, if next season does not, you know, depending on how next season plays out, that would be where I would decide, you know, maybe it's time to make a change. I don't know what Kevin Saul is like. I know that there are some fans that thought Isaac Brown should never get the job, and I think those people are insane, especially given what he did as the interim coach that year. Uh, And I know that there are some fans who think that a change should be made like immediately, like right after this season. But Isaac Brown has been criticized a lot as a guy uh, who doesn't make adjustments. He can't be flexible. He's going to try to have his team do the same thing every single game. Look at that SMU game. 9.30 left in the game. He's got some foul trouble on his bench at multiple positions. He puts in Isaac Abide, who had a massive and one late. Did miss some free throws, but he gives Wichita State a presence on the glass defensively that has been lacking. The Shockers are the worst team in the American in defensive rebounding, and Isaac Brown really didn't have any reason to trust Isaac Abide. He's been a guy that has gone out. He certainly you know lights up your Twitter feed because he has these show-stopping dunks, but that's been pretty much all he brings to the table. Not a guy that you would think, you know what, last 90 seconds of the game, this is the guy who's going to get me the tough rebound. This is the guy who's going to get the stop and they were able and it wasn't just a b-day either craig porter was out with foul trouble by far wichita state's best plus minus player somehow the shockers against the mustangs outscored them 30 to 12 in about a 10 minute stretch i think it was more i think it was 12 minutes that they didn't have porter and they outscored them by 28 shama scott and isaiah poor bear chandler come in off of the bench scott played 16 minutes with three assists no tor- turnovers and poor bear chandler who was in for poto who had foul trouble had a timely steal some big rebounds so you know these guys who are on the bench are coming in and giving Isaac Brown valuable minutes in a big game in which the Shockers are trailing huge. Isaac Brown is getting buy-in from these guys on the bench who are not playing, and that says to me that this team believes in what the coach is selling them. I can tell you uh, without a doubt that uh, if I'm Bill Self, I wish I had the bench presence that Isaac Brown's players have. Where yeah, no joke. Come off no the bench kidding. Give him some valuable minutes because um, – KU doesn't have that right now. I think that the Jayhawks would kill to have some players like that to come off the bench and be effective. But no, you're right. And I think that with with the Shockers, if they they can continue to see different guys step up from game to game and you don't – and that was the question coming into the season. Who else outside of Craig Porter will contribute? And while it's been maddening at times because depending on the game – it sort of seems like nobody really wants to raise their hand that they want to contribute. Uh, as of late, there have been some other names, Isaac Day and Isaiah Porbear Chandler. You mentioned Shema Scott. Some of these other guys that we haven't called their name a whole bunch this season that have provided valuable minutes, bring different attributes to the table and have all contributed to Wichita State getting back into that, into, into a good, a good place right now. I'm not suggesting And I'm not ready to go there yet and say that the Shockers are going to 
somehow magically start to be an overall better team overall or, you know, compete for an American championship or anything like that. I'm not, not suggesting that, no. but I am saying that with the contributions of the guys off the bench and others, I don't think it's going to be as big of a dumpster fire that I was really afraid that it might be when Wichita State started the conference season 0-3. The only thing on fire right now is Tulane's defense because, well, and maybe the Shocker offense too because the Shockers have hit 8 of 10. They are 4 of 4 from the 3 right now and 3 of 4 from the free throw line. And Pierre leads them with 6 points. And at the under 12 media timeout, it's 23-9 Wichita State. And the, Love that. And the Green Wave haven't hit a 3 yet and they've tried 6. So it is all Wichita State. Maybe they're going to choke it out right now. Who knows? But uh, right now, it does not look like that. It looks like Wichita State is cruising right now over Tulane. So we will see how that works out for them. Shockers are heading to East Carolina on Sunday. An early tip-off. You'll be able to be done in time for football 11 in the morning at the Pirates. That game is on ESPNU. Or maybe it's on the Plus. Who knows? Check the schedule. GoShockers.com. Hashtag watch us. You're welcome, Wichita State. Let's go ahead and get to the last moment of the show. It's time for the last segment. And it is one of our favorite ones. You know the deal when this music hits. It is time to hit the music. Go around to Wichita with our Wichita Whip Around. Some stories from the Wichita sports scene that we didn't have time for on the show. But you need to know. Tommy, what's your Whip Around this week? Well, I may have stolen yours. Um, so you might have to shuffle here if you are if you pick the one that I picked. Uh, big news. We're, we're going to stay on Wichita State. Big news for Wichita State softball. As Kevin Saul announced a brand new facility renovation for Wilkins Stadium. Uh, That's a big deal. It's part of a master plan for facilities for Wichita State. And it's just a testament overall to the focus and emphasis that Shocker Athletics wants to put onto women's sports as a whole and softball specifically and the work that Coach Christy Breadbenner has done at Wichita State. So I think it's it's a great thing. It's a great play. I'm glad they're doing it. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I'm looking forward to seeing what a brand new renovated Wilkins Stadium would look like. Uh, yeah, you actually absolutely did steal mine. I figured I did, yeah. Uh, huge, yeah, it, it's, it looks absolutely amazing. And for a mid-major program and Christy Broybenner in the article talks a lot about the mid-major softball and what that looks like and how much this would set Wichita State apart from other teams in that bracket if this is all able to come together. They're in phase one. It's going to be a four-phase plan, as you mentioned. It's going to be a new video board, but the fact that they are going to be a program at this size of athletic department and have exclusive use of their own team facility, their own practice facility that's in indoors and that kind of a stadium 1500 seats outfield seating new press box luxury suites i think that right now the time they're talking about invest in women and all this all this you know basically just buzzword junk invest in this program because the shockers have been a program whether they're women or not don't demean their success by just saying oh well it's a women's success or men's success they earn their success because of their accomplishments on the field regardless of what sex they are you know it's just ridiculous and the 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 point is that you have to invest in this program because 
the footprint of the American Athletic Conference, as you know, Tommy, it's about to change. And some of yep. the softball powers that are in there now are not going to be there in the future. They're going to the Big 12. So this is the time to invest while this program is hot to keep Brenner, to help Breadbenner keep the Shockers contending for the NCAA tournament. On top of that, I know that part of the project, too, is uh, giving the softball program and the players in the program better living facilities where right now it's not up to par. And so that's important when you're trying to recruit and bring in players to play for your program. Not only is it NIL and all the stuff that we've talked about forever, but it's also where are they going to live and are they going to be comfortable with where they live? And right now it hasn't really been the case as much for Wichita State. This does put them head and shoulders above their counterparts in the conference. But more importantly, on top of that, you and I have had conversations a lot about what is it going to take for Wichita State softball to get to a point to where we're talking about them in the same breath as OU and Oklahoma State and Arkansas and being able to host regionals in Wichita to where the Shockers don't have to go on the road because they have a difficult time and anybody would have a difficult time going to Norman or going to Stillwater and winning softball games and moving on to the next leg of uh, the, the postseason. And so if they can help that by having a new facility altogether and then just investing in the program. I am 1000% on board with this. So I did have to pivot, but I do have a backup story because of course I do. There are three teams ranked in the KCAC men's basketball standings in the top 25 in the country. Leading the way right now, Oklahoma Wesleyan. This is a basketball power. In case you're wondering, Oklahoma Wesleyan, what are they doing in the KCAC? Yeah, they've been in it for a couple of years and they are 14 and 1, 19 and 2 overall. Kansas Wesley and the Coyotes up in Salina, they're also 19-2, and 13-2 in the league. They're ranked 13th, and at 17-4, 11-4 in the KCAC. Uh, I hate to say this. I've become, I feel like you're becoming a little bit Weston-ish on this issue, but your Southwestern Mound Builders are third in the conference at 11-4, and, and they're ranked 21st in the country. So how about a shout-out for Southwestern? Yeah, um, I don't feel like I'm Weston because you're bringing it up. I'm not just volunteering the information. You're bringing it up. So, yeah, congratulations to uh, Matt O'Brien's squad down there at Southwestern and what they've been able to do. And then, of course, the other teams that are ranked uh, in the KCAC. And shout out, by the way, to Gene Hartman, who is one of the assistant coaches under Donnie Bostwick at Oklahoma Wesleyan. Gene Hartman was a longtime assistant for Matt O'Brien in the Southwestern team. Oh, wow. Uh, I know Gene, know Gene really well. And so uh, he's down there at Oklahoma Wesleyan now. Uh, but yeah, some really high quality basketball in that conference. Yeah. I mean, I think they're a national championship threat this year and, and they have been the last couple of years. So it's interesting how the KCAC continues to elevate their level football, basketball. Uh, they're not, not an also ran conference. Like uh, maybe people thought of them a decade. They're contenders now uh, really, really impressive to see what Dr. Crawford has done in his leadership of the conference and how they have really responded in this era of conference expansion. A couple of additions, corrections, and retractions. Adalberto Mondesi has been traded to the Red Sox. His time with the Royals is over. The Royals getting cash considerations or a player to be named later. Mondesi had incredible tools, but is made of paper mache, as you know, and has paid th- uh, played 358 games in seven seasons, coming off a torn ACL. Had incredible years, 2018 and 19, but he has been reduced to being traded for a player to be named later, guy, because 
He can't stay on the field. Good move by the Royals. They got something for him. There's no indication, Tommy, that Mondesi can actually play consistently. It was time to move on, and the Royals have moved on. I think that one thing that we know uh, right away about J.J. Piccolo as GM of this team is that he's not going to shy away from making deals when he feels like no. it's needed. And and I totally understand this move. Um, it's hard to not think what could have been with sure. Alberto Mondesi, uh, but it never really came to fruition. And, and I think a fresh start for the Royals and a fresh start for Mondesi, uh, it, it's the right play. Maybe he'll flourish in Boston. Um, all the best to him. I, I hope that it works out for him there because uh, he, when he was healthy, he was so much fun to watch. But I get the move the Royals get. Uh, another bullpen arm coming in where, you know, I was thinking about this a lot. And if you've got a starting rotation in Kansas city, that is not very good. Probably their that's, ceiling is not very high. Very it's probably, polite of you to say it's probably, I, I think it might be fair to say at best they're mediocre. Like that's probably that's the very polite of you for to their, say. for their rotation. If, if that's the way that you're going to do your rotation and you're going to roll with it for this season, you've got to have some high-quality bullpen arms to back you up. And the guy coming in from Boston, he didn't play in 2022 because of a back injury, but the year before he was great for Boston. Uh, Josh Taylor, I think, is his name. Uh, so that's good if he can be back to his old self. They signed a role this Chapman. Who knows if a role this Chapman is the Aroldis Chapman of old or not? I don't know, but that's another bullpen arm. And then they made another trade earlier this week and shipped off Michael A. Taylor yep. and got a couple of minor league bullpen arms. So they're really trying to stack up this bullpen, probably thinking that they're going to need some help in that regard. Yeah, uh, former gold glover uh, Michael Taylor, he's off to the Twins. And uh, according to reports, the Royals have received some calls regarding Hunter Dozier, who is owed $18 million over the next two years, and Nicky Lopez, who's had a war of over four uh, last year. Uh, Taylor was average offensively, but as I mentioned, a gold glove. These moves, by the way, Tommy, and it's we're weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting. Um, it doesn't give me real good thoughts about the upcoming Royal season. I'm not, not going to lie. Yeah, it doesn't me either, but I mean, look, I, I get it because like in the case of Michael A. Taylor, um, he was a, a gold glover. He had nine home runs last year. He had like 258. Okay. He, he he had an OPS of like 670. He was so fine. So it wasn't earth change. It was fine. Yeah. But really what it was doing was it was taking away at-bats from one of the younger hitters and, and trying to help them develop at that level. So that's where the Royals... If you want to call it a strength, that's where they have strength is in young hitters. And so if they can get those guys at bats and then get some bullpen arms in exchange, I, I understand. I get it. Um, there's not a lot that inspires confidence in me right now with no, Kansas City. Not at all. But that being said, I'm not heartbroken that they don't have Michael A. Taylor no, or Adalberto Mondesi. Or they might be trading Hunter Dozier. It, like, I would it love. It to doesn't see, break my heart. No, I would love to see Hunter Dozier playing baseball anywhere else other can than I tell Kansas you, City. Can I tell you one thing that actually I like that Kansas City has done this offseason? Sure. It would have been really tempting to go after guys that were on the free agent market for emotional reasons that became available. Eric Hosmer was on the free agent market. Sure. Mike Moustakis is on the free agent market. Danny Duffy is on the free agent market. 
the Royals have not gone to any of them, which I think that from a fan perspective, there's that emotional pull like, yeah, just bring, like, bring them back. Of but course. What they're doing is they're taking up roster spots. And if you are really, truly trying to develop the next generation of Royals players, then those guys don't really have a place in the organization. So I'm actually glad that they didn't call any one of those guys. Those are guys that you bring in when you're just one piece away and you just need a veteran yeah. to kind of stabilize things. The Royals, they're not there yet. Uh, nope. Any other A's, C's, or R's for you, Tommy? I don't think so. I think we basically covered everything. Today. I think we pretty much have. And we'll be covering, of course, the AFC Championship game when we are back with you in two weeks. The plan will lay out like this. We have got the Chiefs coming up here uh, very, very shortly in the AFC Championship game this weekend. We will come back on our normal schedule every other week. We'll discuss the AFC Championship game. If the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl, we will be back. We will break format. We will come back after the Super Bowl week because we have to. Uh, win or lose, we will be back after the Super Bowl to either commiserate or celebrate a Chiefs Super Bowl victory. So we'll plan to see you then. And obviously, at that point in the year, we're going to be getting right down the home stretch of Big 12 basketball with KU and Kansas State both ranked inside the top 25. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we sure hope that you will join us next month. Thanks so much for liking, sharing, and subscribing. Here to Keeper of the Games, follow us at CogPod on Twitter if you'd like to stay interactive with the show. Tommy, for our beloved audio listeners, how can they find you on Twitter? You can follow me anytime on Twitter uh, at Tweets from Tommy. And I am at B.E. Cripps. Let's hope for a big performance from Mahomes coming up on a Sunday and hoping we're going to see a lot of tomahawk chops over there. Uh, you better do, do some for me, Tommy, at Arrowhead Stadium on Sunday. For Tommy, I am Blake. This has been the Keeper of the Games. Take care, guys. You've been listening to Keeper of the Games. Don't forget to subscribe, download, and listen on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and more. Visit our website at cogsports.com. Find the podcast and videos on Facebook and YouTube at Keeper of the Games. And follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at cogpod. That's K-O-G-Pod.